0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, church family. Good morning to those joining us online. If you haven't jumped into the chat and and just kind of made your presence known, we love to interact with you there as well. You look great. You sound good. Um, Looking forward to just diving into God's Word. Uh, Last week we celebrated Easter. Uh, it was an incredible time, three services on campuses, three online services. Um, and, and what I've discovered throughout the week as I've continued to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus is still alive. He's still working, and I've been celebrating the resurrection in Easter all week long. How about you? Okay, five of us have, the rest of us, this series is for you because we're talking about Jesus changes everything. He transforms us. And so, we're diving into the book of Colossians. Um, You don't have to turn there just yet because I want to set this up for us a little bit. Um, When you stop and think, what happened between the resurrection of Jesus and this letter that Paul is writing to this church? Uh, When you just stop and think about those things, right after His resurrection, Jesus came back, and He spent time with His disciples, with His followers. He continued to teach them, and He instructed them for about 40 days. Paul tells us that He appeared to His disciples, and at one point, He appeared to more than 500 at a time. Uh, and He would teach them, He would remind them of the things that He instructed them. And then eventually, Matthew 28, we have what we refer to as the Great Commission because after this time, as Jesus has spent this 40 days, he, he took His disciples and He was releasing them to do the work of the ministry. And so, we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto Me, therefore go and make disciples. Uh, But he kind of set it up from the standpoint that don't go until you go to Jerusalem and wait for the one that I promised you, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. We read that about, uh, about that in John. And and so just go to Jerusalem and wait because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the uttermost parts of the world. And so that took place. And we have the book of Acts because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John tell us the accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts then gives us the birth of the New Testament church. And and people's lives were being transformed through the power of the resurrected Jesus. And so I want you to think for just a moment of what just happened. These twelve guys that had followed Jesus, they, they laid it all down to follow Him for three to three and a half years now saw their Messiah blow their plans out of the water. This was not what was expected at all. Uh, They were expecting this kingdom to be established on earth. And and so they saw this, this man that they deeply loved, this prophet that they thought. And then they realized this is truly the Son of God. But he's still blowing our plans out of the water. And then they saw him arrested, falsely accused, brutally beaten, murdered, hung on a cross, and he died. But then he came back. Because Jesus changes everything, and so he, he changed the perspective of life and death for the disciples. And now, having appeared to them for this 40 days and, and taught them and instructed them, it gave them a resurgence of hope because Jesus changed their perspective. He changed their very being. He changed their life. I love Sean McDowell, co-author of the book, Evidence for the Resurrection, put it so concisely. Listen to what he says. You can see it on the screen as well. He says, what event transformed the disciples from defeated, cowering persons in hiding to bold evangelists? The answer, the resurrection. Why were they willing to spread the good news despite being beaten, imprisoned, and threatened with martyrdom? The answer is the resurrection. What gives us peace and strength today to share the good news? And it is the resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And and it took these guys, these disciples who were so transformed and so convinced of who Jesus is. Now I want you to get that present tense, who Jesus is. We just went through a series of the seven I am statements of Jesus because Jesus is in the present tense. And they were so convinced and so transformed of who Jesus is that they were willing to pursue and advance the gospel even to the point of martyrdom. And and for several weeks, I've been encouraging you to grab this little book. It's called More Than a Carpenter. There's an entire chapter, chapter seven, it's about 15 short pages, and it's simply entitled Who Would Die for a Lie? And it investigates the life of these men who were the followers of Jesus, who knew Him best. How many of them were so convinced and so transformed that they were willing to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom to be stabbed? To be stoned to death, to be exiled, to be run through with a sword, to be beaten. Folks listen, that confirms our faith, it strengthens us in our faith that these eyewitnesses of Jesus were willing to lay down their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And it so transformed them, and so now the church was growing, the church was expanding, and the gospel was changing life after life after life. And one of those lives that was changed was the Apostle Paul, who we came to know as the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, who was persecuting — matter of fact, we discovered that Saul is the one holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen, a martyr of the faith. And it was Saul who then came to know Jesus Christ personally. His life was so radically transformed that now he began to convey the hope and the grace and the transformation power of Jesus. And he began to invest in a young man named Timothy. And together, Paul and Timothy began to invest in a young man named Epaphras. And Epaphras, apparently from the area of Colossae, went back to his home area, so radically transformed, began to share his hope with others, and those others put their faith and trust in Jesus, and a church was born. He owned his impact as a believer. He owned his impact as a follower. He took a risk, and he stepped out by faith. And God was using him greatly in this city. And so, here's this church. And so, I would simply say, now welcome to Colossians right? This is the progression. Here's how we got here. And so Epaphras is pastoring this church, and most scholars believe that at this point the Apostle Paul had not actually physically visited the church there, but he's had so much influence through his discipleship of Epaphras that he's communicated with the church. And so Epaphras now writes back to Paul, and Paul is writing back to the church to help correct them on some bad theology that has crept into the church. See sometimes churches are planted in areas like Southbridge, and we can either impact our culture or the culture can impact us. See we are either influence the culture around us or we allow the culture to influence us. Every one of us will leave this place and we will have a choice today. To be influenced by the culture or to influence those around us through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And what happened is that there was some bad teaching, there was some false teaching and heresy that had crept into the church. And I love Pastor Warren Wiersbe, Uh, he simply said this, he said, Satan is so deceptive. He likes to borrow Christian vocabulary, but he does not use the Christian dictionary. And I find that to be so true of false teachers and bad theology. We grab little words or we simply grab a little verse completely out of context, uh, what I I heard one pastor call it a Bible McNugget, right? We, We take one little McNugget, instead of looking at the entire passage and seeing everything that the Bible teaches us, we just grab one little thing and we hang on to it and we build a movement out of it. And That's bad. That's wrong. We have to look at all of Scripture, and when we look at all of Scripture, it gets difficult because there's nothing easy about the Christian faith. There's, nothing, there's no come easy believism, just come and Jesus is going to make everything wonderful. He didn't for the disciples who laid down their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so these false teachers in Colossae, much like Raleigh-Durham, much like the US, were twisting the meaning of very strong Christian terms like knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And the knowledge that they were promoting uh, wasn't based on theological truth, but more of a philosophical meandering. Uh, Let's let's just try to pull in our culture and, and make everyone feel warm and welcome. But that's not what Jesus invites us to. And so much like today, there are these false or extra-biblical teachings that will lure many people away from the truth of God's Word. It may be a clever idea, it may be a movement, progressive Christianity is is growing because people don't like the reality of God's truth, they want to redefine terms. Or the prosperity gospel who simply says, hey, look, that whole martyr stuff was, uh, that was first century church, that's not for today. I believe it is for today. And I believe more and more we're moving down a road as a culture that we're going to have to take a hard stand for being a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul is simply writing to the church to correct some of their thinking and to remind them that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, that Jesus is sufficient, and that He continues to transform lives. So, each week we send out, I just, I'm going to do a little commercial. Each week we send out what we call a small group study guide. And if you get this, you had an extra attachment to your email this week, because we we emailed you a little bit of commentary, a little background, because we're not going to be able to cover a lot of that in this sermon series over the next several weeks, and uh, so there's some extra stuff just talking about the city, about the church, about the background, about Paul's writing to them, and so I encourage you, if you got that, to look through that, read that, study some of the history here on your own. If you didn't get that, we'd love to put it in your hands. so, in the room, we're going to put a number up on, on, the, on the screen online. You can just simply text this number or email us. I'd love to send to you this little simple five little pages of a background, some commentary uh, that lays out a little bit of Colossians, as well as to get you the small group study guide so that you can kind of work through that and kind of understand because God's going to step on all of our toes in some capacity over these next few weeks because Jesus changes everything. And there's areas of each of our lives that God wants to get into that we're probably gonna hold back. But God's gonna begin to prompt and He's gonna go, no, Dave, I wanna go there with you. I wanna go there with you because I wanna transform you completely. If you've been around Southbridge Fellowship for any period of time, you've heard us use this phrase that we are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. Because we believe that Jesus continues to transform lives. He continues to change lives. And we believe that discipleship and spiritual transformation happens better in circles, not in rows. Right? Because you can come in and comfortably just sit and take everything in and then walk away. And so, we invite you to get connected with other people as you connect to Jesus, to get connected with other people. And I believe that what Jesus modeled for us, He meant for us. And one of the things that Jesus modeled, listen to me carefully, Jesus was in a small group. You hear me? Jesus was in a small group. He called 12 men to come and follow Him. And, th- and these men continued to love each other, and they continued to nurture each other, and, and He would grow them, and He would invest in them for spiritual transformation to equip them to release them for ministry. Who's equipping you? Who are you sharing life with that is equipping you, challenging you to move into those difficult areas of spiritual transformation, and nudging you in such a way to allow God to dig into those hard spots? We talk about connecting. And whenever I talk with, with somebody individually, I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit more because connecting is more than participating, okay? When we talk about connecting, we're talking about committing to relationship. You see, you're not connected to Jesus for life change by participating in a church service. You're not connected to Jesus for life change by, by simply participating in a Bible study or a small group study. But when you begin to commit to relationship, To surrender your heart and life to the God of the universe who loved you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay the price for your sin, and you commit to relationship, you give yourself over to Him completely, He begins to do a transforming work in your life. To connect with others in biblical community is not simply putting your name on a list, it's committing to relationship with those people. To to begin to allow them to ask some of the hard questions— about you and your life, and to nurture one another. I love Hebrews 3.13 simply says, but encourage one another daily, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Folks, we need each other, and Jesus demonstrated that need of human relationship with one another. Now I want to share a a quote as we move forward, uh, because as we see in Scripture, there's nothing easy about this thing called the Christian life. These followers of Jesus realize this is not an easy task. To follow Jesus and have His transforming power work in my life is not easy. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite old preachers and writers, passed away actually in 1963. Uh, But one of his writings, he was talking about the transformed life, and I just want to read this section for you. So stay with me for a moment, will you? Yes? Thank you. He writes, he says, many of the great evangelists who have touched the world for God, including such men as Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney, and i got to understand, uh, Jonathan Edwards passed away in 1758, Finney in like 1875. So, he's going back. So, the problems we see in, in Colossae were happening in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, 2000s. This is a continued struggle. He says, many of those great evangelists who've touched the world for God, including guys like Edwards and Finney, have declared that the church is being betrayed by those who insist on Christianity being made too easy. Jesus laid down the terms of Christian discipleship, and there are some among us who criticize, oh, those words of Jesus sound harsh and cruel. This is where we stand. Receiving Jesus Christ into your life means that you have made an attachment to the person of Jesus Christ that is revolutionary in that it reverses the life and transforms it completely. It is complete in that it leaves no part of the life unaffected. It exempts no area of the life of the total man. And by that he means woman as well. Ladies, you're not left out. By faith and through grace you have now formed an exclusive relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. All of your other relationships are now conditioned and determined by your relationship to your Savior. To receive Jesus Christ then is to attach ourselves in faith to His holy person to live or die forever. He must be first, last, and all. I feel like we could pray and go home, but we're not. So, stay with me this morning. and we kick off this series, I simply want to share some, some, a little bit of an overview, some of the groundwork that Paul lays out in the beginning of his letter to the church in Colossae. So, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, when we look at this as Paul is laying out his letter, he's saying, look, because Jesus changes everything, first thing I want you to see is that we begin to see evidence of transformation. As Paul is writing to this church, he's reminding them that it's all about Jesus. And because Jesus changes everything, we begin to see evidence of transformation. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. When's the last time you got a note that started like that? Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and it's increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Listen to Paul's language here. Listen, listen to the language that he's sharing. They heard the Gospel, and they responded to the Gospel, and now their lives are being transformed by what? By the Gospel. What, what is the Gospel? The Gospel is good news. The Gospel literally means good news, which means if, if you're going to have good news, that means there's apparently bad news, right? Any dads in the room? Uh, my dad was the king of bad dad jokes. And he had a load of those, I got good news and I got bad news jokes. I'm not going to give you any of those this morning. But, but when we understand there's good news, we understand there's also bad news. The bad news is that you and I are sinners before a holy God, and there's no way for us to earn a relationship with Him. The good news is the resurrection of Jesus. The good news is the person of Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life on my behalf, died a brutal death on a cross, was buried in a tomb, raised again on the third day, appeared to more than 500 a time, ascended to be with the Father, and is forever making intercession for me on my behalf. Why? Because I've placed my faith and trust in Him. I've acknowledged my sin and I've trusted Him. That's the good news. That is the Gospel. It's not about works. He's saying, look, for, for the moment they understood the grace of God in truth, the gospel. Now, listen, you can hear the good news and not respond. Many people do it for years and years and years and maybe throughout their lifetime. Others hear the good news and respond. Which one are you? You see, when we respond to the good news, when we respond to the Gospel, uh, Jesus comes in, He he promised the Holy Spirit who comes in, Paul says in, in Ephesians, as a deposit guaranteeing all of our future inheritance. He takes up residence in the life of a believer and He begins to transform us from the inside out. That's salvation, that's relationship with Jesus. When we're trying to put on the good works externally, that's called religion. And that is not transforming. What Paul is talking about is what Jesus offered, and that is transformation. And so, from the moment the Colossians understood the grace of God and accepted it, he said the Spirit began working in their lives. Doing what? He says, bearing fruit and increasing, transforming their lives, producing love. The, the word love here is an agape love. This is not a, a warm feeling. It's not a kind regard. This is a self sacrificial, generous love where I begin to, to care for the needs of others above myself. Now, Through the years, as I've had the privilege of introducing people to a personal relationship with God through Jesus, one of the things that I will often do is simply say, look, what I want to encourage you to do is over the next several days, months, maybe even years, I want you to look for a difference, a change in your life in two specific areas, attitudes and action. You see, because when Jesus begins to take up residence in our life and and He begins to change us, He begins to change our attitudes about things and our actions about things. And that's what Paul is speaking to. There's been a change in your attitude. There's been a change in your action. Now, I, I will say right here that I love when people come to know Jesus Christ. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice. I do too. And I rejoice for a lot of great reasons. I, I may rejoice for other reasons as well, because what I've discovered is that new believers, when they step into an existing church, they disrupt the norm. And I like that. They, they irritate the people who are sitting comfortably and don't want to be disrupted. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe I'm stepping on your toes this morning, uh, but I, I will just recall a story of a guy named Bo. And Bo is exactly the way you're picturing Bo right now. Bo wore these bib overalls. He drove a panel truck around town. He said, Bo the handyman. And Bo was just a big old burly country boy who gave his life to Jesus. And I got the privilege of baptizing him. And between me and Bo, we displaced a lot of water that day. And I'm telling you, it was awesome. And and Bo was just this big guy who just fell in love with Jesus. And I began to see it because I told Bo I said begin to look for a change in your attitude and your actions. And and we would see each other throughout the week, and on the weekend as we'd come to worship, and he would tell me about the things that he's seeing that God is doing in his life, and, and how he's changed about things. And even his attitude, bad attitudes, has changed. He goes, that, that stuff that bothered me. is not bothering me anymore. And, and I just loved watching what was going on in Bo's life. But here's the other side that was fun about Bo, because Bo fell in, and now all of a sudden he's just loving Jesus, and he's loving people, and he's beginning to serve, very self-sacrificial. He's doing things, and what happens happened is the people who were comfortable in the pews got kind of bugged that Bo was there. And I loved it. There was one, and I'm not kidding, you can ask my wife, this is a true story. This one sweet old couple, and I say that somewhat sarcastically, but they they claim a relationship with Jesus and they were there, and they come to me one week and they said, hey, that new guy? I said, you mean Bo? Yeah, the new guy. I mean, I said, like Bo, the guy that just gave his life to Jesus and was baptized and he's excited and he's grown in a relationship with Jesus and being transformed by the power of Jesus in him. You mean that guy? Yeah, the new guy. Well, he he adjusted the thermostat. True story. I said, well, maybe it was too hot or too cold and it needed to be adjusted. Yeah, but, but he's not supposed to do that. And I'm not kidding, about two weeks later, that same couple came up to me and said, hey, that new guy? I said, you mean Bo? Well, yeah, the new guy. I said, yeah, Bo, the guy that gave his life to Jesus Christ, has followed him in believers' baptism, is being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in him, and is excited for Jesus. You mean that guy? Yeah, yeah, the new guy. Well, he made coffee in the coffee pot. And I'm like, So, maybe we needed more coffee in the coffee pot, and out of love, He's just caring for people. Now, I love that because sometimes new believers step in, and they disrupt our system. That's exactly what Bo was doing. I don't know if that's happened to you, but but I love stories of life change and transformation, and, and I love watching people who begin to change in attitudes and actions. Because true faith leads to works in accordance with salvation. But listen carefully, but good deeds do not lead to salvation. One is religion, one is transformation through the power of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is emphasizing here in these few opening verses just the multidimensional aspect of their faith and their salvation, which is impacting all areas of their life. He he uses the word faith, and faith looks back. Faith looks back to the anchor of our salvation, which is Jesus. Uh, But he talks about love, because love begins to look around, and we begin to love and serve those around us, building up the body of Christ. But he also talks about hope, and hope is looking forward, realizing that because Jesus was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful today, tomorrow, and forever. That's what Hebrews tells us, right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So the same God who was faithful to me yesterday is going to be faithful to me today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year until I stand in his presence. So this this transformation is affecting every aspect of who they are. And because Jesus changes everything, we begin to see evidence of the transformation. But secondly, we also begin to boldly pray for transformation. We begin to boldly pray for transformation. As you begin to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, you begin to pray more boldly for more transformation. So look what he says, picking up in verse 7, Paul says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit, right? It's equipped by the Spirit. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul is teaching us how to pray for transformation. He says, here's how I'm praying for you. Here's how you can pray for yourself, to to be bold in your prayer for transformation. With a very thankful heart, Paul is saying, I'm seeing what God is doing in your life. I'm thankful for that. Continue to pray. And he says, I'm praying for these indispensable spiritual virtues in your life of knowledge, of wisdom, of understanding, each of which lead back to the will of God. You see, our purpose in surrendering to Jesus is to follow His will. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And and we surrender to Him, we surrender to His will, and the purpose of gaining knowledge and wisdom and understanding is to learn to live in accordance to His will. So let me ask you this morning, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? When, When you stop and think about the amount of time that you spend in prayer, how much are are you praying for things that are, are physical? Sometimes what I call the organ prayers, praying for someone's heart, someone's kidney, someone's liver, you know? And how much of your time is spent in, in the spiritual realm? God, do whatever it takes in so-and-so's life to bring them to you. Do, do whatever it takes. And if that means making them miserable, then God, please, by all means, make them miserable until they come to you. Do, do we pray physical things or do we pray spiritual things? Not please, here, don't get me wrong. We need to pray for, for physical things. I mean, I, I firmly believe in that. I've experienced the power of prayer, but my confidence is not in prayer. My confidence is the God of my prayers, right? And, and so I, I am all about taking things to the Lord and, and lifting those things up But Paul is teaching us not just to to pray for those physical things, but to to pray for the spiritual things. How often do you pray for the hard stuff in your life? Uh, When was the last time you said, God, please make me uncomfortable in an area that I am not surrendering to you, that you want to get hold of and transform? God, I'm not comfortable to do something that you're leading me to do, so I'm asking you to to grant me wisdom and fill me with the knowledge of your will so that I'm comfortable to take a step of faith, to take a risk, to own my impact for the cause of Jesus Christ and to do something that I'm uncomfortable with. Or God, I'm simply willing to open the dark recesses of my private life and allow you to begin to work in those areas that I have yet to fully surrender to you. Ooh, that's a much harder prayer, isn't it? That is a much more difficult prayer. Look at the language that Paul uses, just back up into verse 9 for a minute. He says, I am asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now I want to make this personal. As you read this, uh, again, just think of it very personally. Lord, I'm asking that you fill me with the knowledge of your will. I'm asking you to give me all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding. Now listen to the transition, he says in verse 10, so as. In other words, so that I can do this, give me the wisdom, give me the knowledge, fill me with spiritual wisdom so that I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fill me, give me wisdom and understanding so that I can live in a way that's fully pleasing to you, so that I can bear fruit in every good work, so I can increase in the knowledge of God. That's a different kind of prayer, isn't it? To begin to boldly pray for transformation, to push me outside my comfort zone. I've discovered in my life, and maybe you're different, but I really don't think so. In my flesh, I don't naturally drift towards spiritual maturity in Jesus. I don't find myself more compassionate, more merciful, more bold, more courageous. That's why Ephesians 5:18 says, We are to be filled, to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that we're not capable of doing in ourselves. That's spiritual transformation. And we begin to pray these bold prayers to say, God, give me wisdom. When Paul uses the word wisdom here, uh, the word Sophia is literally the capacity to understand. And to function accordingly. In other words, it's not just knowledge, it's application. Give me wisdom to know your word and to know how to apply the word. Give me the knowledge and wisdom to understand the word, along with the boldness and courage to live out the word. We want to pick and choose and say, man, I really like this verse, so I'm going to do that. And Jesus says, well, what about this one? And I go, well, I'm not really comfortable with that. And so, I just want to set it aside, and Jesus is going, no, I want you to press in to that. Give me the wisdom. Six times we're going to see this word used throughout Paul's letter. Five of them are very positive in um, spiritual wisdom. One of them is somewhat of a negative. But then he also talks about the full knowledge of God's will for which Paul prayed. He says, look, it's not just information. All spiritual wisdom and understanding is about transformation. Jesus Christ, who is sufficient for all things, and and it's given to believers not to simply inform them, but to transform them. And sometimes in in our church rhythm, we want to gain knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Instead of saying, no, I want to gain information for the purpose of transformation. Read the same passage over and, over and over. Well, now I want to move on to something else. Let's stay here until we get it, right? Well, let's stay here until we get it. Yeah, I know there's a lot of other things, but if God is dropping you in this moment, let's stay here till we get it. And our, our prayer, Paul's prayer is that we will continue to grow deeper in our knowledge of God because we enjoy this personal relationship with God. It's personal, it's intimate, and because it's personal and because it's intimate, it's limitless. You're never going to exhaust the knowledge of God and His will for your life. So keep digging in, keep pressing in. And so uh, I do want to give us a caution right here, though, because when Paul is talking about praying about being filled with knowledge and increasing knowledge and full knowledge of God's Word, I want you to understand this is a mature and a complete knowledge, not a special knowledge. Now again, here's where where false teachers and heresy could easily creep in, and it has done it in America. It's done it around the world, but we see it all over in America right now, where someone says, oh, well, I have a a special knowledge from God, or, or I have a special word from God. Now listen, unless they're telling me that they're opening God's Word and God has given them a a clear perspective on what this is teaching, which He does, by the way, when I open God's Word, God takes that Word and He applies it directly to my life. But when someone stands up and goes, hey, I have a special word from the Lord and I'm not backing it up in God's Word, no, I have no interest in that whatsoever. And a lot of times what false teachers and heretics will do is they will take 95% truth with 5% added. You know what I do with those? I discount them completely. Because Satan is the great deceiver, and and a deception is different than a blatant lie, isn't it? Deception starts with truth, and it slowly erodes, and pretty soon you're down a road that you never intended to go before. And that's what false teachers do. So listen, I'm simply giving us a word of caution, because this idea of full knowledge or complete knowledge is not some kind of extra-biblical teaching that God inspired someone and granted on their heart. God's Word is complete, it is finished through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in the implementation of the Holy Spirit, and it's done. And we're going to dig into His Word, and we're going to press into His Word. But it's also true when someone just grabs, again, like I say, a, a little Bible McNugget and goes, hey, look, let's just take this verse completely out of context and embrace it, when it really doesn't mean what the Word of God is saying it means. And we have to be careful with that. So, look for change in attitudes and actions, because God's transforming work in our lives is not an easy process. And and even though sometimes it's not easy, we begin to see Paul's third point I think that he shares with us is that we become thankful in transformation. Have you ever just stopped and said, man, God, this has really been a hard time. This has been difficult. You are pushing me. You are challenging me. I am really uncomfortable. There's stuff going in my life that I really can't uh, handle all by myself. God, thank you for that. Because I know that you are stretching me and you are growing me in areas that that I'm just not comfortable with, but it's for my good and your glory. So, he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul loves this phrase. He uses it also in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, being Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. To be redeemed is to be purchased. And so what he is saying here is this, when he uses the word qualified, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, you and I are not qualified because we're sinful people before a holy God. Somebody say amen. Amen. All you non-sinners, go ahead and say amen too, because it affects you. It affects all of us. We are all sinners before a holy God, but He says He has qualified us. How has He qualified us? Well, He tells us that, that the, the word qualified is literally to, to be made sufficient or adequate, and He tells us how, through His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so Paul is saying, look, you have been qualified because you have been redeemed or purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not qualified in and of yourself But God has qualified you, and because He called you, He will equip you. Because He called you, you are qualified to do exactly what He calls you to do. So the question is, what is His will? Well His Word clearly gives us His will, so we press into His Word with understanding, with wisdom, with knowledge, and we experience life transformation. You see, spiritual growth and transformation in Jesus is often an uncomfortable process. And He begins to grow us, and He begins to push us in directions that we don't naturally move. And as He does that, we, we find ourselves thanking Him for that. Uh, transformed people love seeing growth in their own life and their walk in relationship with Jesus. And so, even though it's hard, we, we just go, man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have qualified me to, to um, serve you. And we begin to go, whoa, man, he tells me that I'm supposed to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. And I go, I'm not comfortable doing that. And God goes, do it anyway. And so I step out by faith, and I blow it, and I struggle, and I feel like I fail, and I go, hey, thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity. Thanks for growing me in areas that I'm uncomfortable. And what happens? You begin to grow in that area. Hey, what about loving the one that hurt you deeply? Restoring a broken relationship to the honor of Jesus. What about stepping into someone's life and beginning to disciple them because they're new in the faith or less mature in the faith? And you go, "Ah, I could never do that. And God says, do it anyway. And and you step in and and it's uncomfortable and you stumble and you stammer and you feel like the biggest failure, but you begin to thank Jesus because He's doing work in your life and and he's, He's praising you because He's affirming you in your faith because you're walking in obedience, you're taking a risk, you're owning your impact for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He has qualified you to share in the inheritance. He's qualified you to share, to love, to restore, to disciple, to lead. What about surrendering your personal agenda of life to follow God's leading in your life? You know what? He has qualified you. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Whatever willing to give Him, He's willing to change. And that's not always just this easy process. As we close, I'm just going to say this. I said as I've gone through ministry and, and I've watched people's attitudes and actions change, the, the attitude of why you belong to something greatly affects how you behave. And as a pastor, I've learned that sometimes when I, when I interact with people, when they understand why they belong to a church, it affects how they behave in church when they connect with a small group of people and, and they have a clear understanding of why I am in this group, it affects greatly how they behave in that group. And that's part of spiritual growth and transformation. Most of the time we wanna sit and receive God's blessing, but we don't wanna grow in his knowledge, we don't wanna grow in his will, and we don't wanna step outside our comfort zone and allow God to transform us to begin to do for others what others have so gracefully done for us. It's having a kingdom mindset that says, look, there's a greater kingdom when when He says He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. In other words, He's called you to follow, to come, and to walk with Him. Jesus knows our comfort zones. He knows our idols. He knows that when He extends that, fo- that invitation to follow, that He calls us to leave these things for His good, for our good, and for His glory. When Jesus extends the invitation to follow me, it is a call that leads to a greater adventure, a greater purpose for our lives than we could ever imagine all by ourselves. It's embracing that kingdom mindset. Why? Because the kingdom is expanding. It began in the book of Acts and it continues to this day. We either own our impact, we take a risk, we allow Jesus to transform us in every single area and we embrace the mission to which He's called us. So my question as I close, what's your next step? What's your next step? I don't know what your step is, I know mine. But we'd love to help you in the journey, whether you're in the room, whether you're online, we would love to help you. You can text us right now. Maybe your next step is simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He loves you, He is pursuing you. And if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus, we wanna help you. Understand that from God's Word, just to pick up God's Word and say, look, here's exactly what He's talking about. And online, you can do that. Right now, you can simply text the word Jesus to the number that's on the screen. You can do it in the room as well, but I'd love to have a conversation with you. So don't run out of the building. Let's have a conversation. Maybe your next step is connecting somewhere. Maybe it's beginning to grow in an area that's a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe it's pressing deeper into God's word. Maybe it's modifying your prayer life, growing in a spiritual discipline of, of prayer and scripture memory. I don't know. But folks, we are here as a body of believers to help one another take those next steps of faith as we grow in our journey with Jesus. So, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in this place, Lord, we just thank you that you are a God who pursues us, who loves us so deeply. And Lord, that you desire spiritual transformation in our life. So, God, for anyone in this room or anyone watching, if they just need to know what it is to have a relationship with you, Father, would you give them that courage and that boldness right now to just take that step of faith, to trust you? Uh, There's no magic prayer. There's no, you know, position of the body is not as important as the attitude of our heart to Christ. And so, uh, Lord, whatever you desire to do online or in this room, we just want to give you freedom to have your way. Lord, for some, it just means growing in an area that that might be a little uncomfortable for us. And maybe we need to do that with others so that we can walk that journey together and know that I'm not alone in this process, Lord, that even as you demonstrated what it is to walk through that process with other men, Lord, that you've called us to walk that journey with other believers. And so whatever your next step of faith, whether online or in the room, we'd love to have the conversation with you. Reach out and let us know. Father, continue to work in our life. Transform us because you change everything. In Jesus' name, amen.